How many of you needed that worship this morning? Man, that was on point. On point. I love that last song. I don't know what it is about that last song, but every time I hear it, every time I sing it, it just hits me in a deep place. And I pray that's the case for you as well. Man, every part of me, every part of my life, Lord, take. I hope that you're praying that and asking God to do so because there is no better life to live than a life that is completely surrendered to Jesus. Right, friends? It's so true. Well, this is, as you've heard already numerous times on Sunday, right? Welcome the King. We want to welcome the King here today. We want to welcome him into our lives, into our hearts, that he can change every part of who we are. You know, this time of year, I can't help but asking a couple of questions because there are times I think we need to think like the people we reach or the people we want to reach, right? I don't know. Sometimes I think, especially after we've been believers for a period of time, we forget how people who don't know Christ, or we like to refer to them as pre-Christians or unsaved people or whatnot, sometimes we don't know what they're thinking or how they're thinking. And I believe that sometimes it's good for us just to think as if we weren't a Christian yet. What questions would we have? And I think for me personally, when I come to this time of year, The questions that I would think if I was not a believer is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? And why? Why did Jesus have to die? And I believe that there are those in our lives, in our sphere of influence that are searching for life and they're searching for the meaning of life. And they want answers to these questions, friends. You know, those of us who have found the answer, we know it's, it's settled in our hearts, but there are those in our lives and perhaps even some here today and that question or those questions are, are left unsettled in your life. And I pray that even as we look at the life of Christ today, that you will see Jesus. And, and I believe that the answers, the questions are here. Are they not? They're right here in the Bible. If you have your Bible, just lift it up. This is the word of God, friends. It changes lives. Can you say that with me? This is the word of God. And it changes lives. And how many of you would give a hearty amen to the fact that this word has changed your life? Amen. 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 You know, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You know, this time of year, especially, I like to get into just the Holy Week, the Passion Week, whatever you'd like to call it, and to reflect upon the last week of the life of Christ. And I would encourage you, if you're looking for something that will help you to really walk through, this is the beginning of that walk, to walk through the Passion Week, the Holy Week, version has some really good devotionals that you can... Uh, log into and and be a part of this week and you can experience Christ every single day of your life while reflecting on the life that he lived when he walked this planet. So I would encourage you to do that. Go on version and, and just type in Passion Week, Holy Week devotionals and see what comes up and see what's to your liking. And just get into God's word this week and reflect upon what it was, what it was like for that last week of the life of Christ when he lived on this planet. Now, I will say this, he's more alive today than ever before. It wasn't the end, friends. It was only just the beginning, right? Palm Sunday is a day that marks the remembrance of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. 
But I want to start really sort of like a three-part, it's like a mini-series, or maybe it's part A, part B, part C, to an ongoing sermon. And I'm going to call it the life of Christ. Now, let me say this, because some of you are like, well, I'm not inviting friends next week if you're, if you're on part three of a message. Well, trust me, the way these messages are going to be put together, even if you only hear one of them, you're going to get what God has for you out of that, okay? So if you invite friends next week, they're not going to know that they missed anything, all right? So I want to invite I want to trust you to invite. I want to invite you to invite. I like that. That sounds better. I want to invite you. I want to encourage you. Invite someone to come this Friday night at 7 o'clock and next Sunday morning for Easter service, Resurrection Sunday at 1030. Matter of fact, invite them to have some sweets with you. Come to breakfast next Sunday morning at 930. Because we want as many people as possible to hear about the love of Jesus, don't we? So the life of Christ, just these words cover a tremendous scope, don't they? The life of Christ. You know, John wrote this. He wrote it towards the end of his gospel. He said, the things which Jesus did, they should be written, every one of them. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. It tells me that Jesus did so much that even all the libraries of this world could not hold the books of the records of what he accomplished. So who, what, and why? The answer to that this Palm Sunday, it's that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, he's priest, he's king. The Old Testament foretold the fact that he would be prophet, priest, and king. And the gospels prove that he is prophet, priest, and king. But today we're gonna look at the first aspect of this, and that is that Jesus King. So the title of this, this part of the little mini-series is this, The Life of Christ, the Messiah King. He is the Messiah King, friends. He's not just the King, but he is the Messiah King. Messiah comes from a Hebrew word which means anointed one or chosen one. The Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word is Christos, which is where we get the name Christ. Jesus Christ, the one who came to save the sinners, is also the anointed and chosen one to bring life. The life of Christ, and look at this, it's, it's, it's sort of mind-blowing when we look at who Jesus really is, isn't it? And we're just going to look at one little aspect of this story, this narrative, and that is the triumphal entry today. You know, Jesus and his disciples were on the Jericho Road They had already climbed most of the treacherous pathway that twisted and turned up 17 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples this directive. Well, he needed transportation, right? And so we see in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, and if you have your Bible, you want to open up there, Matthew 21. It says, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. You know, when I read this story, I can't help but think, man, did Jesus just ask the disciples to steal a donkey? And it's full? Is that what I read there? It sounds to me like Jesus just said, just go get it. It's okay, just go get it. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was one of those disciples, I'd be like, I, I can't imagine the conversation between the two of them when they were there. Is this okay? We should do this. 
I mean, I know he's Jesus and everything, but he just asked us just to go up and take somebody's. But watch this. He didn't really, he didn't really steal. He just borrowed it, right? Just borrow, he, he said, we're just, we're just borrowing. Tell him that the Lord has need of it, right? He's just borrowing. Matter of fact, when you think of the life of Christ, Jesus really spent his whole life having nothing. I mean, scripture says he didn't even have a place to lay his head. He didn't have a car. Well, they didn't have cars back then, but he didn't even have his own donkey, obviously, right? He had no house. He had nothing. Everything that Jesus had was borrowed. Even the tomb that he was buried in, borrowed. Well, he didn't need it long, so it didn't, you know, right? I mean, three days. But there's significance to this. There's prophetic significance to this. Read on in this chapter, verses four through seven, show us the significance. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus sit on. <laughs> Sometimes I'm thinking, now why did Jesus need both of those donkeys? You know, I'm like, was it, was it such that it's like, okay, when one gets tired, you can get on the other? You know, I mean, but they, they put the cloaks on both of them. This event, friends, was demonstrating that Christ had come to be the king. That's the prophetic significance of this. Notice how they paid homage as they placed their cloaks on the back of the donkey. They were preparing for the king's triumphant entry into the city. This was a king that they were attending to. Hello, right? This was a king. And not just any king. This was the Messiah king, right? And we're going to take a look at three aspects of his kingship quickly here this morning. The first is that Messiah king was the rightful king. He was the rightful king as well as the righteous king, right? Zechariah's prophecy refers to the Messiah as God's anointed king. Again, it says here in Zechariah, we just read uh, Matthew's take on the prophetic word that Zechariah spoke hundreds of years before in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding a donkey, a colt. When Jesus mounted that donkey, not just any donkey, but specifically a purebred colt, as Zechariah promised, he was presenting himself as Israel's promised king. And by his actions, by his actions, he was saying, behold, your king comes to you. Now we have been, for the last number of months, we've been talking about that word behold. And that word behold is a powerful word because the word behold is literally a word that should get our attention. In other words, that word behold is like, listen, attention. This is important, right? That's what that word means. Behold, your king comes to you. Many people in the crowd would have recalled those words of Zechariah, heard them. They would, have, they would have reflected back on what they heard, and they recognized that Jesus is the king. He is King Jesus, a clue that the people in Jerusalem would have recognized this connection is that when they saw Jesus riding on the donkey, 
this response. Look at verses 8 and 9. Very large crowd. Very, go ahead and go over to one side. There you go. Thank you. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna. Can we say this part together? Hosanna to the son of David. Continue to say this with me. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. If Jesus is the king, then all of his loyal suspects, I mean subjects, I did that intentionally, by the way, because some of these guys were suspects. Some of the guys that followed him were a little shady, right? I mean, after all, he had some brothers that were called Sons of Thunder. That sounds like they were a part of a biker group, doesn't it? But no, these loyal subjects, they're acknowledging his kingship. Jews did this by calling him the son of David. In essence, they're saying he is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He is the son of David. And they're spreading their cloaks and they're laying down. I just have my handy artificial palm today. I can reuse this one year after year. And believe me, I paid enough for this that I want to reuse it year after year. I got this at Michael's like a couple years ago and you wouldn't believe what I had to pay for it. Anyway, it's not important. They waved their palm branches. They were literally laying them down on the ground. And they were taking off their cloaks and they were laying them down on the ground. And as they laid that, they were rolling out, friends. We know the expression rolling out the red carpet. They were rolling out the red carpet for Jesus, so to speak. The red carpet of that day. Now, when we think of rolling out the red carpet, what are we saying by that? When the red carpet is rolled out, it's rolled out for someone of of noble importance, someone who is significant, right? When we say that we're rolling out the red carpet, that's what we're saying. We have a dignified guest in our midst. Jesus is and is that dignified guest. He is king. And the good news is he's here today. You know what? And even in our worship, we were laying things down and we were essentially rolling out the red carpet for Jesus during our worship. Were we not? Amen? We were. So he is the rightful king. And I I believe you and I recognize his sovereignty by laying down our lives before him, right? By surrendering to his sovereignty to his kingship and yielding our rights, yielding our lives to him for him to govern over our lives. We are his subjects. He has redeemed us. He has called us by name. He has invited us to be a part of his kingdom here on earth. Amen. He is royalty. He's worthy of our best because he is the rightful king. We praise him as such. But there's another aspect of his kingship that I want to talk about today. And that is that he is a victorious king. Come on, somebody, lift your hands in the air and say, he is victorious, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to be reminded of that. And sometimes it just feels good to do that. He is victorious. I mean, I don't know about you, but if my team wins at the end of the game, I'm like, yeah, right? Well, what? Our team wins in the end. 
Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And even though we may go through things and even though we face challenges in life and, and we battle through things sometimes and, you know, we feel like, man, I lost that battle or whatever, we are promised and guaranteed in the end that we win the war. Amen? Because we have a victorious king that has conquered. Now, Jesus rode into Jerusalem as a victorious king. The very reason that he, the Messiah, came was because the world needed a savior. That's the reason, friends. That's the reason. You know, Pastor Chris, she touched on something earlier, and I, I spoke in the breakfast club about this. You know, the crowd at the beginning of the week, they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waving their palms, right? That same crowd by the end of the week, not all of them, but a lot of them were among those who were saying, crucify him, crucify him. Isn't it interesting how things can change, right? And sometimes that happens in relationships in our lives. Sometimes circumstances, it seems like we're winning one moment and then all of a sudden we're not. Hello? Have you been there? Are you there now, right? I'm here to tell you today, friends, that get that palm branch back out and keep praising God because he is victorious. Regardless of what you're up against, regardless of what you're going through, you win in the end, right? Hosanna. You know, Hosanna is a word. Praise, it does. But it means more than that too. Just as it means praise, it also is a word that means save, <laughs> help, God save us. So when they're waving their palm branches that day and they're laying down their palm branches and, and their cloaks and they're welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, all the while they're saying, God save us, God help us. They're worshiping, but they're also crying out. I don't know about you, but I was doing that during worship this morning. Oh, I was giving him praise. I was, I was laying it out there, man. I was, I was no holds bar, as they say. I was, I was lifting up the Lord and I was surrendering to him. But I was also crying out saying, God, help. <laughs> See, we can do that. We can do that. We can surrender in worship and praise and all the while say, God, I got this going on. I'm lifting my hands in worship, but I'm also lifting my hands in petition, a prayer petition to you. Right, church? And I don't know about you, but that's my kind of worship where I can come into God's presence and I can welcome him into this, this place and into my heart and I can say, God, I got this going on, but I'm not gonna let it stop me from worshiping. Matter of fact, I'm gonna worship you knowing that you are the victorious king and because you're the victorious king, I'm gonna yield everything to you. <laughs> and I'm gonna ask for your help. I'm gonna cry out to you and say, God, save me. God, take care of this situation. God, resolve this issue in my life, right? Amen. As they were waving their palms, shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, there's, there's part of this though that, you know, doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the moment because they thought that perhaps Jesus was, was coming into Jerusalem to establish his kingdom in an earthly fashion. Uh, there was political oppression. Sound familiar? <laughs> uh, oh, Lord have mercy. There was political oppression. There was a, there was a heavy handedness. The, the government was trying to control even the people of God, right? And so they thought, surely he's coming to set the record straight, right? 
he's going to reign and rule as the king. And we no longer have to worry about those Roman thugs, you know. But it quite ended up being that way, did it? Because there was a higher purpose. Moment, there was a greater reason that Jesus had entered Jerusalem. And it was for a redemptive mission, right? And, and he never allowed anything or anyone to curtail that mission. He was to fulfill that week. He followed it through, right? And he gave us life as an atonement for us. The salvation he offers is deliverance. Deliverance from sin and death and eternal, the eternal wrath of God. But yet, again, they were looking for this political deliverance that was to come. So they didn't fully understand what they were asking for when they said, help or save us. Because really, there's two aspects of the kingship of Jesus. There's two aspects of what it means for him to be the victorious king. Because if we look at the world today, we go, is he really victorious king? If he was victorious king, why would all this be going on? Have you ever thought that before? So let me remind you, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world and there's the kingdom of God. And that's why we need to set our hearts and our minds on things above. That's why we, when we look at, at the situation the way it is, we need to say this, your kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that true, right? The fact that he came the first time to do what? To give his life, to give his life as a ransom for all, for the atonement of sin, so that we can know him, so that we can love him, so that we can have a relationship with him. That's why he came the first time. He came to bring ministry, and he came to perform miracles, but he came ultimately to give his life for you and for me. <laughs> He's coming a second time. And things will be different then. You must keep that in mind, right? Recognize that he has power to save now, but there is coming a day where he will ultimately triumph over all of the enemies of his in this world. That leads me to the third aspect, and that is the gentle king. He's the rightful king. He's the victorious king, but he's also the gentle king. You know, in ancient times, when a king rode into a city, it was usually with the show of power and wealth. Power, prestige, and position, right? Those are the big words. Society of the world that we live in, aren't they? Right? Might, might have expected Jesus to enter Jerusalem at the head of a mighty army, bring dazzling prizes for his royal treasury, Right? But here's the surprising thing. The rightful king and the victorious king is also the gentle king. Jesus comes to greet his subjects, not with pomp and circumstances, but in humility and gentleness. Gentleness is one of those royal attributes that Zechariah mentions in a prophecy. As a matter of fact, let's pull that one up on the screen if we can. Here's the full, pro here's the full verse of Zechariah 9.9. Please greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Here it is. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Yeah. Gentle, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The gentle king, humility, meekness. It's symbolized by his mode of transportation. He's riding a donkey, guys, okay? A borrowed donkey at that. At the very least, you would expect Jesus to ride in on a horse. Hello? Yeah. 
war horse, perhaps a big stallion that makes a statement, right? Okay, let me put this in today's terminology. I don't know about you, but I've I've always seen uh, the iron horse as being symbolic for a horse. How many of you know what an iron horse is? Right? I would have expected Jesus to ride into Jerusalem on a Harley. Sorry, I'm doing the best I can. I should have had sound effects for this. Jesus would have ridden into Jerusalem on a Harley and all his disciples behind him on a Harley. Can you imagine the noise of that? That would make a statement. We are here to conquer. We're here to reign, right? Jesus was on a scooter, a moped. I mean, if Jesus wanted to make a statement by his mode of transportation and he was riding into our sanctuary, in today's world, we'd be like, surely he's going to be on a Harley. I know he's a Harley guy. I just know that, right? He's not one of those other. No, he would be on a Harley, right? All of a sudden, he comes cruising in here on a little, you know, and we go, Hosanna, I guess. Um, Is there someone behind him? They were expecting something more, right? In fact, he was on a beast of burden. Okay, a donkey is known as a beast of burden. Clarence McCartney wrote this. He said, how strange a contrast to the triumphal entry of ancient warriors and conquerors into the cities which they had taken or conquered, obviously. This time, no wall broken down for entry. This time, no garlanded bro standing in his war chariot driving down the lane of cheering subjects past smoking altars and followed by captive kings and princes in chains behind him. Instead of that, just a meek and lowly man riding upon the foal of a donkey. Friends, Jesus was making a statement. This time, (laughs) this time I'm going to come in meek and humble and gentle. Next time? The second time? What's the Bible say? How's he coming back the second time? On a white horse. And he will conquer, right? So even as we're here today on this Palm Sunday and we're thinking back, we also, friends, should be looking forward. Hello? Because there is coming a day which he will ride on a white horse and guess what? We will be with him. Yeah? Hello? But yet at this time, he had a redemptive mission to fulfill. He had a purpose to live out. You know, this next verse really kind of talks both in part about what has been prophetically fulfilled, but not completely. Because you see, we live in that in-between space. We live in the now and not yet period. Part of the word has been fulfilled, but there's a great deal of it that is yet to be fulfilled. But how many of you know, because we are in that now and not yet, we can experience God in great and mighty ways, even today. Yes? 
Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because he is the prophet, the priest, and the king. Amen? But this verse right here, go to that next verse, if you will, guys. Verse 10. Yeah, you got it. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Guess what? He will conquer everything and everyone in every space in between in the end. Amen? That's what we had to look forward to. And while he comes in humility and weakness in this moment, many of you know meekness is not weakness. Matter of fact, meekness is power under control. Another way to look at it is meekness is really when one restrains their strength. In other words, they have the ability, they have the power, they have the strength, but it's restrained. What Jesus was doing as he came in to Jerusalem, he was restraining that strength. Here we have an omnipotent God who all the while is a gentle king. The same God who created the universe with one word spoken into being. The same God that crafted the mountains is the gentle king that can wipe a tear from our eyes. Gently wiping a tear. He's that kind of king. He's a gentle king. And that leads me to a thought that I want to convey here. It's not only his strong and mighty power, the strong and mighty right arm that is fierce and awesome, but it's a tender, gentle, loving, forgiving presence. He wants to show up in our lives and he wants to demonstrate, he wants to personify, he wants to live out in our midst even today, friends. He's tender, loving, peaceful to all who trust him. Gentle, even enough to care for the children, right? To bless them. To touch our hearts at the place where we have the deepest need. Oh, yeah. Deepest need. Deepest hurt. The wounds that we have. The loss that we experience. The devastation. The difficulty. The discouragement. Gentle King wants to walk into your life day. And he wants to show the Messiah's ability to work miracles in your lives. You know, this week, Kyle lost his father. It's so good to see Kyle and his mom here today. Good to see you, Nancy. Days ago, it was very tough. The last time I saw you, Nancy, was right after him had passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're here today. And Jesus is here as the gentle to help you, be with you, to show you the way. You may not know right now how you're going to make it. He knows how you're going to make it. Right, church? Right? Because this isn't some flowery talk that we talk about out of scripture. He's the rightful king. He's the victorious king. He's, he is the rightful king. That means he takes what is wrong and makes it right. He is the victorious king that even in the midst of death, there can still be victory, church. And he is the gentle king who comes even in those moments. We don't know what we're going to do. Oh, somebody talk to me about that. It can be at three o'clock in the morning. It can be at the loss of a loved one like like high on Nancy, his mother, have experienced this week. 
But I'm here to tell you, friends, that he is omnipotent enough and gentle enough to be everything we need in the moment. Everything we need in the moment. Everything we need in the moment. You know, I, I want to do this just real quick. Would you just, would you extend your hand towards Kyle and his mom, Nancy? And those who are right there, if you just maybe lay a hand on their shoulder. You know, a sermon is not a lecture, by the way. Hello? A sermon is presenting God's word, hopefully with life and vitality. And what, what we're doing right now is part of a sermon. It, it's, it's touching and ministering to the deeds of each other. Right now, just lift your voices and begin to pray for Kyle and Nancy. God just comforts them, consoles them, that he wraps his arms around them, that he shows them that even though they don't know how they're going to make it, he's going to make a way. Because what matters to them matters to him. Right, church? But we just, we ask God that you would intervene in their lives. That's what this Sunday is all about. It's about you being the king their hearts, the king of our hearts. And even in dire situations like this, Lord God, when there's a loss of life and there are more questions for which there are answers, you come through. And you, you work through your body. You work through the spiritual family. You work through the church to bring love and consolation and support and encouragement. So Lord, may we be that for this family during this time. May we wrap our arms around them. May we uphold them and undergird them with our prayers and our thoughts and our encouragement and our support. Father, may we be you, be the Lord and the King, white family, Lord God. In the powerful and mighty name of Jesus, show them the way, Lord. Show them the way forward, the path before them. Let them see that you are a God who will not leave them. You will not abandon them. You're going to help them through this, Lord God, one step at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. And you know what, church? That goes for any of us, for any circumstances. Jesus is humble and meek, he's gentle, but he's also our healer. And I don't know about you, but there are times I need his healing power. I need it emotionally. There's been a season that I just came through that I needed it physically. But sometimes it's, it's even greater than a physical healing we need. It's an emotional healing. Sometimes that, that can be the worst hurt, amen? There's an emotional hurt. There's a relational tearing. There's all kinds of pain that we encounter in life. Jesus is who we need him to be for us. He's the rightful king. He will make what is wrong right if we allow him. He will steer this thing in the direction that it needs to go. He is the victorious king, even though it may not look like victory right now. It doesn't change the fact of who he is. And he has promised ultimately that we will conquer and win in the end, right? Now, we need to see him our gentle king. And he came into this room this morning. And he came riding in here. I don't know if you know it or not, but he's here. He is here by the power of his Holy Spirit. You can't convince me otherwise. Man, during worship, I felt his presence. If I had opened my eyes, I'd have felt like he was standing right here. Do you know what I was hearing? What I was hearing then, what I'm hearing now, is on Palm Sunday, this Palm Sunday, what he wants more than anything as our king our hearts. I love that song we were singing, You Can Have It All, Lord. Every part of my world, every part, 
I think this morning we would truly honor the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Messiah King, if all of us would say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, be the King of my heart. Amen, church? I wonder if you will, just to prayerfully for a few moments, and I'm, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna wrap us up in prayer. But I wanna play this song for us right now. And I want you to really listen to this song. Make this song your prayer this morning. Make it your prayer. Don't just say, oh, it's a nice song. No, make it your prayer. Truly see that he wants to be the king of every part of your life. He wants to be the king heart. You guys play that and then we'll come back and we'll conclude in prayer. By the way, if you feel so led to come forward while this song is playing, the altar's open, friends. It, you know what? If I were where you're at, I would be up here. Okay. I'm just being honest. This morning, I would be up here. As a matter of fact, I might just go down here. All right? But if the Lord so leads you, would you just come up here and seek him together and, and draw near to the king today? Yeah, church, go ahead. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. And let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide the ransom for my life. Oh, he is my song. Yes, you are good. You're good. King of my 